Good morning. Wow. Um, there's another lesson we can add, by the way, to that uh, event that Don just talked about. And that is that there's nothing that the Lord cannot do. We knew that already, didn't we? Okay, uh, open your Bibles, please, to Isaiah chapter 53. <laughs> As most of you know, we've been looking at uh, a series of messages on uh, Old Testament character studies. We are indeed going to look at a passage in the Old Testament, but the character, well, actually is a New Testament character. I'm not quite sure how to phrase it. It's the Lord Jesus himself. It was actually all over the Bible, right? Jesus said to the Jews, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which speak of me. And he was talking about the Old Testament at the time. Isaiah 53, uh, verse 11. <clears throat> He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Well-known section, Isaiah 53, a prophecy of the Lord Jesus. A particular quality of the Lord Jesus I want us to think about this morning is really captured in that phrase because he poured out his soul unto death. Jesus didn't do things by halves. Jesus was never half-hearted about anything. He was wholehearted. That's what that verse is saying. So I want us to think about that this morning, the wholeheartedness of the Lord Jesus. It says in Ecclesiastes, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. We have an expression along those lines. If anything is worth doing, it's worth doing what? Well. Yeah, well is the word. It's worth doing well. It says in Colossians, whatever you do, do it heartily as under the Lord. So we're enjoined to have that particular characteristic in our own lives. There's nothing worse than ho-hum Christianity, is there? I mean, the world has seen enough of that. What the world expects is Christians who love Jesus Christ and it shows in their lives. We need to be wholehearted. Jesus was wholehearted, let me tell you. He was never half-hearted about anything. We shouldn't be surprised. The first and greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Wholehearted love for God. That's, that's what he wants. That's what he deserves. Jesus did everything that way. You know, we shouldn't be surprised. It's the way the Lord Jesus is. And, you know, you think about it. When the Lord Jesus offered himself up, in particular for our sins, if there had been anything half-hearted about it, you know, any holding back, you know, or kind of a self-preservation, it would have been a flawed sacrifice, and we would not be saved. God would not accept an offering like that. He told the Jews in Malachi, 
You go give your lame and your uh, sick uh, animals to your governor. Don't bring them to me. But that, Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus was wholehearted. Even in his death, what does it say? He poured out his soul. Those are strong words. Poured out his soul unto death. He was wholehearted about dying for our sins. What a beautiful life. The Lord Jesus. Perfect. It says back here in verse 2 of Isaiah 53, talking about him. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. It's talking about Jesus as he grew up as a man on, on, on the earth here. All the way from his boyhood uh, to his adulthood. It, the picture, they're kind of like a plant, you know. And, and the, it says grow up before him. The father was watching that life. What a breath of fresh air. I'll tell you. Like a tender plant. As a root out of dry ground. Imagine what a delight it had to have been for God to see his son. Growing up, living those 33 plus years perfectly. He'd never seen anything like that ever. Ever. And we haven't seen, seen it since. One life. And no wonder... Uh, when Jesus comes out publicly in his ministry, the, the uh, how can I put it, the father, I mean this reverently, could not restrain himself. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I find all my delight. Amen. He had to say that. He meant it. He, w he was so filled with joy at this life. You know? 30 years before his public ministry of wholehearted devotion to his father, you know, it's wonderful. The first words that God has recorded in the scripture that the Lord Jesus ever said, they were at the age of 12. And you know what he said? Fits in with everything we've been saying. I must be about my father's business. There it is. His only concern, pleasing his father. And he was saying that from the heart. And then as he came into his public ministry, Three and a half more years of wholeheartedness in the public eye. Only wholehearted love and obedience to his father. Service to others. Others only. Nothing for self. Now, as we talk about this quality, I, we know to a certain extent what it means to be wholehearted, don't we? <laughs> you ever been wholehearted about something? Come on. Yeah? No? You know, it doesn't take long to know a person. You be around them for a while, you talk to them, you find out what turns them on, don't you? Just, you know, all of a sudden, you're, you're talking, you know, and there's this conversation kind of going like this, you know, but it's all right. All of a sudden, you hit some subject, and they are just animated, and their voice goes up, and they're excited, they're enthusiastic, they're wholehearted, right? Everybody here, with each person, it'd be something different. You know? But everyone here knows what it means to be wholehearted about something. Often, in our case, it's the pursuit of something for ourselves. Let's be honest about it. Right? It's easy to be wholehearted about something like that. Um, pleasure, amusement, something for profit, entertainment, something for gain, success, popularity, self-improvement, you name it. 
Man, we can get wholehearted about some of that. In fact, just take the word self. <laughs> we can get awfully excited. That's why Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Because <laughs> we're wholehearted about that. I don't have to be told to take care of myself and be good to myself and be wholehearted about it. Jesus was wholehearted about pleasing his father. It says about him, uh, zeal. Zeal is, a, is not an often used word. It means enthusiasm. Okay? It says about Jesus, zeal for thy house, for his father's house has consumed me. Eat me up. There it is again. Enthusiasm for the, the house of God. Ate Jesus alive. That's really what that's saying. We use the phrase, you know, yeah, he's so wrapped up in blank, right? You know, I'm sorry, I was all wrapped up in something, you know. I forgot, you know, or I didn't notice or whatever. We're talking about wholeheartedness. That's what that means. All wrapped up in something. Jesus is all wrapped up in pleasing his father. And the final demonstration is here in this verse, in his death. It says he poured out his soul. There's a wonderful... Uh, phrase in the Old Testament. It doesn't occur too many times, but um, we know about the burnt offerings, right? You know, there were five main Levitical offerings, but there's one in Psalm 51 where David's uh, confessing his sin to God. He talks about burnt offerings, and then he says, and whole burnt offerings. Interesting. He uses that word, whole burnt offerings. It's the offering... It's actually the, the first time it was, um, it was uh, the lamb that was offered up by Moses. It was called a whole burnt. Everything is the idea. Everything was burnt on the altar. There was nothing left out. Whole. Wholehearted. Eaten up. Consumed. Aren't you glad to have a Savior like that? Man, I am. Wow. I wish I was like that more. I, I get a taste of it once in a while, but not all the time. Wholehearted. Nothing held back. His suffering wasn't diminished. It's interesting. When you study the Word of God, I said there are so many keys. One of them is when you read a verse or a sentence or a phrase, think about the thought that's in it and then say, what's the simplest way God could say that thought? And then say, but how did he say it? And notice the difference. And things will just jump out at you all over the place. Because that's where God is stressing things and pointing things out and teaching us things. So, for example, here in, uh, just turn back a couple of pages to Isaiah 50. The well-known prophecy, again about the Messiah. It says this about Jesus. I gave my back to those who struck me, verse 6. And my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. He's talking about the suffering of the Lord Jesus. The interesting thing is, in its simplest form, you know what is being said here? You could say it this way. Uh, Jesus was struck on the back. Jesus had his beard plucked out. And Jesus was spit upon. Right? Now that's the way God could have said it. He doesn't say it that way, does he? 
I want you to notice how he says it. Jesus speaking in the first person prophetically through the Holy Spirit six, seven hundred years before it happened. He says, I gave my back to those who struck me. You see that? He didn't hold back. I tell you, you wouldn't want to see a picture of scourging. You would not want to witness it. It's too horrible to comprehend. Well, they get that big cat of nine tails with those bits of bone and sharp objects in it. And the, some big brawny guy just lashes across the back as hard as he can. 40 minus one stroke. Barrett lays the bones bare. That's what that's talking about. And the tendency after you felt one lash is to kind of get as far away from it, of course you're tied to a post, as you can. This says, I gave my back. He was wholehearted in his suffering. Now, I've heard some people speculate, it's really silly. They say, yeah, uh, you know, Jesus, he enjoyed it. No, he didn't. That's stupid. That's crazy. He didn't enjoy it. It hurt. It hurt a lot. But the point is, his sufferings, listen to this, were the will of his father. And that's what he hung on for his whole life. If it's the will of my father, then I'm going to do it with my whole heart. And to shrink away from suffering, which was the will of his father, would be, to him, disobedience. It's that simple. That's kind of a thought. It's kind of probably foreign to us, but not to him. It was his father's will. So whatever it was, good or evil, that came to him, he saw it from his father's hand. And so he wholeheartedly dove in and took it because he did it as unto his father. Wholehearted. To shrink back was not an option for Jesus. That's why when they came around with that sponge and the wine on it and it had gall and it, it's a drug and it's supposed to deaden the senses, make it easier to die by crucifixion. As soon as Jesus saw what it was, he, didn't, he, he turned his head, wouldn't take it. He would, he would not allow this, the, the pain to be diminished, you see. It would be wrong. It would be sin for him. It was his father will, father's will that he died that horrible death on the cross. And he saw it that way. Because he was wholehearted in, as it said there, pouring himself out, in offering himself up, as it says in Hebrews, through the eternal spirit to God the Father. Think about these words. Brothers and sisters, you and I have, right now, eternal salvation. Now just think about that. You and I, right now, we have eternal salvation forever. It's done deal. It's fixed. Praise God. What a wonderful Savior. As I thought about this wonderful quality of Jesus, his wholeheartedness, uh, really, it encompasses four other qualities, probably many others. It's kind of a, kind of a, a broad uh, character trait. But I want to think about four of them. The first one is that uh, he was unreserved in his obedience. He didn't hold anything back. That, that's the first idea of being wholehearted. It says back here, poured out like a liquid. You know, what, that's a great graphic picture to show that he put his whole heart into it. You can imagine a, a container with liquid and you pour it out until there's nothing left. You know, not a drop. That's the idea. He didn't hold anything back. And as you think about the one that was given for you and me and what he did for, for us, 
I mean this reverently, what a waste for that perfect one to give himself for me? It doesn't compute. Why would he pour himself out for me? Incomprehensible. But he did. Paul could say the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus did that for me. The most precious thing, if we can put it that way, in the history of the universe was freely just dumped out for you and for me, rotten sinners. It's incredible. What a use, if I can put it that way, for the only perfect life that was ever lived, huh? To be poured out for sinners? I can think of a lot better things to do with it. You know, Jesus, it was uh, suffering enough, if I can put it that way, that he became a man. This is God. Heaven and earth can't contain him. And here he is now, walking, walking to get from one place to the other. You know, the dusty road. Says he sat down by the well. Why? Because he was tired. Wow. The God who spoke the entire universe into existence is tired. Says he was thirsty. He asked the woman to give him a drink. This perfect life. He came as a man, but then he did all those other things. You know, if you think about it, what should have happened, he'd come and teach us all about God, show us once and for all what a real life should be like, and then go back to heaven. And say, okay, that's it. Game's up, and everybody goes to hell. Why spend that kind of a valuable thing on a sinner like me? Well, it's the love of God, praise his name. He should have been insulated. He should have been isolated from us. Lived in an ivory tower. No, in heaven. <laughs> you know? Hebrews puts it this way. He was holy, innocent, undefiled, separate from sinners, exalted above the heavens. That's who we're talking about. The perfect one. You know, to, to us, we don't, think, we don't think like God. Praise, praise God. He doesn't think like us. But to us, the more valuable th thing is, the more careful we are about wasting it, right? I was thinking uh, in this uh, metaphor here of pouring out, I was thinking, what are some uh, valuable liquids? Um, and first, the first thing I thought of was gasoline. You know, the more valuable it is, the more careful we are with it, right? Some of you in this room remember back in the 50s and the 60s when we used to have things called gas wars. You remember those? You remember when gas was 19 cents a gallon? <laughs> you, got, you hear that? You hear what I just said, you young people? 19 cents a gallon? There are three significant figures when it comes to driving a car uh, that are of interest to people. And in those days, in particular to young guys like me, the first number of interest, uh, interest was the displacement. That's how big the engine is. Okay? And uh, it was measured in cubic inches, and the, and, the, and the great number was 400. You know, if you got a 389, that's cool. If you got a 409, that's better. 409 cubic inches, can you imagine that? Woo! You step out, you floor it, and you can watch the gas gauge go like that. <laughs> the second number, uh, which was of uh, 
mild interest was, you know, how much mileage you get. Nobody really cared about your mileage, did you? You know, the guy, the guy with that uh, 409 cubic inch engine, you know, all he cared about was how fast it went and how quickly it got there, you know? So mileage, which was probably about eight, you know, who cares? It was cheap. Gas was cheap. And the price of gas, I mean, you know, 19 cents. That wasn't consideration. Today, things have changed, haven't they? Isn't that interesting? Uh, just recently, what, it almost got up to four bucks, right? Four bucks a gallon, you know? So all of a sudden, that's the big number. Mileage, all of a sudden, is, is really important nowadays, you know? You want to have at least 25, 30 is better. Displacement. Uh, I think mine is 1.8 liters. I have no idea how many cubic inches that is. But that's not that big of a deal anymore. It's, it's the price of gas and your mileage. Isn't that interesting? You know, the more valuable something is, the more careful we are with it. So I went on from there. I love the internet. You can look up anything. And I tried to figure out what was the most expensive uh, liquid. Did anybody ever heard of the company Clive Christian? No, I thought maybe some ladies might have it on today. It's a perfume, perfumier. They sell the world's most expensive perfume. It's called Imperial Majesty. Okay, hold on to your seat. Because if you want to buy it, this is how much you're going to pay for one ounce of Imperial Majesty by Clive Christian, $2,350. One ounce. You, you got something like that in a bottle, I'll tell you, you you're, you're gonna be real careful how you apply it, right? You know? You got some left on your finger, you probably, you know, put it back in the bottle. Now you ladies know what to ask your husbands for. Come on in. Jesus poured himself out, it says, unto death. It'd be like taking that imperial majesty by the gallon and going out there in the dirt and just pouring it in. That's, that, that's what that's like. That's what God did with his precious sinner. He just poured out that precious life for a rotten sinner like me. Second uh, aspect of wholeheartedness is thoroughness. Thoroughness. Jesus was thorough. He didn't leave anything undone. That's what, that's what wholeheartedness does, you know? Key word here is finished. Jesus says it twice toward the end of the Gospel of John. After he's come to the end of his uh, public ministry and it's just before the cross, he says this, I have finished the work that you have given me to do. What a wonderful thing to be able to say. I have finished the work you have given me to do. Imagine, John says uh, in his Gospel that if you try to write down all the things that Jesus did, the, the world couldn't contain the book. That's a lot of things to have done. And in the midst of all that, Jesus could say, because he didn't lie, he meant it, I have done everything that you wanted me to do. He didn't leave anything undone. That's incredible. There was uh, no life left untouched that God had for him to touch. 
No healing left undone. Not one act of service. Not one sermon left unpreached. Not one word left unspoken. Not one act of kindness left undone. He did it all. Everyone, every single one, every appointment was kept. Every word spoken. He says, I have finished. And then, of course, the next time he said it, it was, the, it was his last word on the cross, and it's a single word, finished. Finished. Praise God. What a beautiful word that is. He's saying, there was not one sin unpaid for. One of the uh, undesirable jobs I used to have when my uh, children were younger was to sweep out the garage. That was a dreaded chore. Because I stressed to them, when you sweep out the garage, I don't want you just sweeping the floor that you see. I want you to move the boxes and the bikes and all the other stuff and get back in there and get all of it. I want you to be thorough. And I'd go in after I got home from work and I'd move the bikes in the boxes. Yeah, they're nodding back there. I have to say, generally, they did a great job. Well, that's what Jesus did. He moved the boxes in the bikes. Uh, devout Jews, apparently, uh, at Passover, go through the house as part of the celebration of Passover with a light or a candle, and they look for the last bit of leaven. Isn't that correct? Last bit of leaven in that. Can you imagine trying to find all the leaven in the house? You know? But to find the last bit of leaven and remove it. When Jesus was done, there was not one little sin left hiding somewhere. Every one of my sins was nailed to his cross and paid for. Jesus paid the price for everyone. You know, did you ever think about it? The fact that Jesus died for all the sins of the world is even more remarkable because all of this effort that he went to most of it's going to go on you. You ever think about that? Isn't that sad? Jesus said that. He said there are going to be few people, few, that means not very many, who are going to avail themselves of what he has done for them at great, great cost to himself. And what a scene it'll be, huh? To, to face him on the great white throne in his glory. Not the dusty... Uh, sandal-ridden uh, feet that were walking Galilee, but the glorious, risen Son of God on the throne. And he'll be able to look every sinner in the, in the face and say, I died for you. I paid it in full. The door was open. Wow. Paid the price for all. I love it when we can uh, have an illustration that uh, talks about the greatness of God. When you think of all the good that could come out of the cross of Christ, and it really, just a small amount of it is going to be applied to real people. You know? It just, it's another picture of the great heart and generosity of God. And there's a, a, a good illustration of this has to do with the amount of sunlight that lands on the earth. You know how much sunlight we capture out of all the sunlight that goes out from the sun? <laughs> That's right. Go ahead and shake your head. Not very much. 
one uh, five billionth of the energy that goes out from the sun actually comes to the earth. The rest of it just goes out into space. One five billionth. You look at uh, my poor daughter's red face, you'll see what that little tiny bit of sunlight can do. We were out yesterday in San Francisco. And she's red as a beet today. One five billionth. To put it in perspective, if, if uh, I was thinking of bringing a basketball, but I thought it'd be a little tacky. So just imagine I'm holding a basket. If this were the, the sun, a basketball, the earth would be a pinhead across the street over there. Now, you've got this basketball radiating energy in every direction. That's a lot of energy, huh? You know how much that pinhead is getting? <laughs> Not much. That's the generosity of God. There's no such thing as what some people call limited atonement. It's not in the Bible. Listen to what God says. And he is the propitiation for our sins. But not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's pretty clear, isn't it? It says in Hebrews, he, by the grace of God, he tasted death for every Jesus paid it all. We sing that song. Is it really hard to come to the conclusion that therefore I owe him everything? The third aspect of wholeheartedness is being focused, directed. You have an aim, you know? You think Jesus lived with a purpose? Oh, man. That was the most directed life that ever existed. Says he set his face like a flint to go up Jerusalem. That's what I'm talking about, that focus. That direction. You can see a good illustration of this a little while ago in the National United States Texting Championship. They got these uh, people up on the stage. Most of them were young people, not surprisingly. And they're up there with their thumbs. And, and, the, and the test, you, you, know, te you know what I'm talking about? Do most people know what I'm talking about? Okay, does anybody know what I'm not talking about? Okay, good. We've got a hep audience here this morning. They're up there on the stage with their thumb just going nuts. And the measures of the... By the way, the grand prize was $50,000. Okay? It was held back in New York. And um, the, the tests were... It was two days. You had to be accurate because they gave you words and phrases to text. And speed. Those were the main things, okay? And um, they tried everything uh, in the world. One, one of the con uh, events was they blindfolded them. Yeah. And, and they're still up there, you know, just pumping away. And you read it, there it is. Incredible. Is that focused or what? Man. And so to see how focused they were, one of the events was um, they had actors dress up as emoticons. You know what an emoticon is, right? Really? All right. <laughs> actually, actually, that's that's the geeky word for uh, the little smiley face and all these other expressions. The sad face and all the, they're called emoticons. Okay, that's that's the technical word for it. Well, they had guys dressed up as emoticons up on the stage assigned to each of the contestants. And they're over there jumping around and trying to distract them while they're texting. 
uh, one, of, one of the guys was talking trash about one of the girl's sisters. And she's over there trying to text uh, a phrase like, let's see, did I write it down here? Yes. I hope I can say it. This is one of the phrases they were supposed to text without mistake. Which wicked witch wish which more wicked witch in the well? So you're up here, you know, uh, with your little iPod or whatever, bang, 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 and you're trying to iPhone, trying to bang in this, this uh, expression. And uh, the, the one girl was flawless. She was a 15-year-old. Interestingly, she wasn't from California or New York like you'd think. She was from Iowa. Yeah. We must have somebody from Iowa here. 50,000 bucks. And as I thought about it, and, and I pictured, you know, the, these kids up there like this, and I thought, you know, that reminds me of something. And then I, and then I realized what it was. It's called repetitive motion. But, uh, oh, 100 years or so ago, uh, and for the 100 years before that, we had factories with people in them that did stuff like that, repetitive motion. Okay, they do it all day, eight hours a day. Six days a week. They didn't have a weekend, they had a, a weekend day. It was Sunday. They worked six days. And they were kids, same age as the, tech, the uh, textures here. And um, it took 50 years to pass legislation in order to protect the kids from having to do that kind of stuff because it was harming them. Uh, they, they were suffering in their muscles and their tendons and physical damage. Uh, they would get distracted and get injured on the job. You know, they had depression because they, they couldn't take breaks and so on. The amazing thing is we pass all that legislation to deliver the kids from it and they're doing it voluntarily now. And more than eight hours a day. In fact, anybody heard, it's a new medical condition called TTT. Anybody heard of it yet? You'll be hearing about it because there are so many cases of it now, the doctors had to come up with an, uh, an expression for it. It's called texting teen tendonitis. No, really, it's real. Yeah. The doctors are seeing more and more of these kids in their mid-teens coming in and the two main symptoms are neck and backache and their thumbs go numb. No, I'm not exaggerating, look it up. And they're warning the kids because it's gonna to lead to number one, possibly nerve damage or definitely arthritis at an early age. And they're saying they're definitely gonna be seeing a lot of uh, thumb joint replacements in the next decade or so with the kids. And the phrase that kept cropping up among the kids was, they say, they text until it hurts. Is that focus? Yeah. Willing to pay a price for texting. What are we willing to do? Jesus did it for a good reason. <laughs> he saved my soul. Praise God. Now, I'm not getting down to the kids. I'll tell you. We do the same kind of stuff. We, we will engage in an activity that we are so enthralled with, that we are wholehearted about, to our own hurt sometimes. 
because we just can't quit. Jesus was wrapped up in pleasing his father. That was his focus, his direction. He could say to Martha, one thing only is needful when she was distracted by a bunch of stuff. And he was speaking from the heart. He knew what it was because he lived it. All right, well, the last element of um, wholeheartedness is perseverance. It means endurance through time. If you're wholehearted about something, you're not going to quit. You're not going to run out of gas. And that was Jesus. It says in Hebrews, he endured the contradiction of sinners against himself. You know, we get irritated with people sometimes. Man, what must it have been for him, the perfect man, to be rubbing shoulders with sinners all day, arguing with him, asking stupid questions, not learning, misunderstanding him, mocking him, rebuking him, day after day after day after day. But he persevered, praise God. He gave and he gave and he gave of himself over and over again until there was nothing left. We actually made it harder on him by our contradictions. Okay, well, we have a song. We're not going to sing it, but uh, the name of it is Jesus Christ has done all things well. Do you agree with that? Yeah, what a Savior. There's no one like him. And now, praise God, his, his first coming, his life and death on the earth, uh, after the first coming, it's done. It's finished. All the prophecies and looking forward to the Messiah and what's he going to be like and what's he going to do, it's all done. It's finished. He did his earthly ministry perfectly. He died on the cross. He, were, he earned a perfect salvation. And now, as some people say, it's a done deal. It's finished. He's done. And it's written down right here. Isn't that great? Isn't it great to be on this side of the cross and know all this stuff? And be able to look here and say, I know I'm going to heaven. Not because of who I am, but because of my wonderful Savior and what he's done. I hope that means everybody here this morning. If it doesn't, what are you waiting for? The Savior I've been talking about is waiting for you to come for, to him. He died for your sins. I can say that confidently. And for us that know him, our, our story is still being written. What is it that you get excited about? What is it that you get enthusiastic about? I hope we can say with the Apostle Paul, I am constrained by the love of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do pray this morning as we think about your lovely, lovely son who died for us sinners and saved us from hell. Lord, deliver us from half-heartedness and ho-hum Christianity. If anybody deserves our best, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I think of my own life, how I just give away my life for things that don't count for eternity. Lord, help me, help us all to give a life to Jesus that he richly deserves. We ask it in his name. Amen.